So to start off this morning, um, something a little bit special that we want to recognize for just a second. And uh, so if you're a guest today, we invite you to join with us in a cool recognition that you don't have to know the backstory to. But something pretty significant uh, has, has just kind of happened here recently with our daycare ministry here at Temple Days. Um, and that is uh, we have somebody who just is transitioning into retirement after over 40 years of ministry here. Miss Cheryl Bowden, would you mind standing up where you are so we can recognize you? How awesome. I'll oh, stand back up. No, you're not done. Thank you so much. You can be seated. 40 years of faithful ministry. And it's really not 40. Actually, it's over 40, but it's not even just that. Um, this morning, uh, Lynette brought a picture of her as a teenager serving kids as a volunteer in ministry. So the fact is, her legacy of ministry here for the cause of the gospel goes on a lot longer, a lot longer than I've been alive. She also happened to have had a milestone birthday this week of turning 70 years old. And so it's been a big, it's been a, a big couple of weeks for her. And so we just publicly wanted to honor you. And we're grateful for your service to the Lord. I'm going to invite you to grab your Bible this morning. Uh, we're going to jump right into our text and our passage. And so uh, if you're a guest today, we have a tradition here that we hold up our Bibles and say a creed before we jump in that helps refocus our hearts and our minds. And it's a prayer that prepares us to engage in the living and breathing word of God. And so if that's where you are in your spiritual journey, then we invite you to grab your Bible or tablet or whatever you use. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you or there should be. Um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. Let that be our gift to you today. Uh, but if you've got something, let's hold it up and let's declare this with some conviction this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to John chapter 4. We've been in John chapter 4, I think this is week 4 of this series, as we've been walking through this important and pivotal and crucial uh, book of the Bible, this, this moment in the story of the life of Jesus. And we started kind of in the center or the heart of this text, and then we said we were going to kind of zoom back and get kind of what happened around the heart of this, um, this whole idea of worship transformed. The heart of this is found in verse number 23. Verse number 23 of John 4 says, The hour is coming and is now here. That's the language of transformation. God's up to something. Something's been coming. It's here. We don't think something was coming. Someone was coming. God in the flesh. Jesus the Christ. And because he took on flesh... And dwelt among us because we saw the glory of God manifest among us. This thing called worship has been forever changed and is forever changing. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, the true worshipers, which means there's such a thing as worship that isn't true worship. 
And we've said that worship is actually not a spiritual word, that to worship is just to say this matters to me. This is important to me. It is to assign value, and we do that all day, every day. When we pay more money on a pair of shoes than somebody else might, that's a value proposition. I'm looking at you on. When we buy a purse that your husband's like, you paid that much to carry stuff? I don't understand. It's because that was worth something to somebody. What you choose to pay when you buy a house is because house prices are inflated. But you decided that it was worth it. We're in constant evaluation of is this worth something And the true worshipers believe he alone is worthy to be praised. He alone is glorious enough to bear the weight of true glory. The true worshipers know where their worth is found. And it's found in the one, our valuing is found in the one who's valued us. He's chosen to value us in all of our brokenness, in all of our failures, Therefore, we have a reason to respond to that valuing by valuing him. The worship of the Father in spirit and in truth, with passion and with mental growth, learning, loving and learning our hearts and our minds, that we worship him with our affection and our attention. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. There's this constant scanning of the universe where God is looking for people who bear His image, who understand how much He loves them, and how worthy He is to be praised. He's seeking for such people to worship Him. This morning, we've, we've kind of progressed through the what? True worship, spirit and truth. Heart and mind. The who, the true worshipers. We, we looked at John 3 last week. The religious elite like Nicodemus. The political elite like the story after this at the end of John 4. And the nameless. The outcast. The one who doesn't have a resume. Everyone in between has experienced uh, this opportunity in Jesus of a new identity, a new purpose and a new start, literally a, a new life, what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so the who is everybody who's been invited into the story of Jesus through the work of his grace. Why? This morning is the why. This morning is what is the motivation to worship God. The Father's looking for it, so what's the motivation? Is the motivation... Well, if God's looking for something and he doesn't find it in me, am I going to be in trouble? Is the motivation for worship fear? If I don't worship God, a lightning bolt's going to drop on my head. I believe a lot of Christians today believe in a Bible version of karma. If I'm trying to live for Jesus, he'll make sure my bills are paid. By the way, the reason I think a lot of Christians believe that is because a whole lot of preachers preach that. They sell a lot of books (laughs) by preaching that. If you'll just put Jesus first, your life will be gravy. You'll magically not exist in a broken world as a broken person with broken people. Now, that story is nowhere in the scriptures. It never fell from the lips of Jesus. 
But we have this idea of, man, I'm scared things won't go good for me if I don't worship God. And then for some, it's not so much fear, it's just obligation. It's just what I have to do. I mean, if I want to get to heaven, I got to go to church on Sundays every now and then. Right? Or, or I feel obligated to show up, not because that'll get me into heaven, but I mean, if he's doing all that for me, I guess I'll pretend like I'm listening. And for some, it's not so much fear or obligation. It's simply routine. That's just what we do. This is Texas. Are you new? We go to church. We got to check it off the box, right? We got to go to church and pray that Bill Belichick loses all of his game notes between now and three o'clock this afternoon. Just out of routine, maybe. And I would submit to you there's a far greater motivation for our hearts and our minds to be fully engaged with the glory of God. We're going to talk about that this morning. Again, the setting of this story, Jesus chose by mandate, I believe, of the will of God to travel through Samaria. He comes to Jacob's well. And he was thirsty and he was weary. And he sat down. His disciples went into town. To buy some food. They went looking for a Whataburger. And Jesus is waiting by the well. And a woman of Samaria comes up. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And we focused last week on her response. She said, why would you as a Jewish man speak to a woman of Samaria? Because the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Understatement of the text. And Jesus responds like this. And it's where we'll jump in this morning. Verse number 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, everything we're going to talk about this morning is the gift. What's the gift? What's the motivation for this worship? If you knew the gift of God, here's the hint. It's the who. The gift is the who. It's not the drink, which is why Jesus says, and who it is. And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Water with life in it. I can just see that marketing campaign. This water will make you live. Don't buy the death water for three easy installments of $49.99. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sign me up. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. What is the motivation of true worship? Circle back again to verse 13. Jesus gives this contrast here of the water he's offering and the water that she would be offering. Everyone who drinks of this water from Jacob's will will be thirsty again, but everyone Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus is contrasting 
that well with himself. Now, here's why I love the fact that Jesus was thirsty. The fact that Jesus was weary from his journey. The fact that Jesus asks for a drink because thirst is natural. She's not a bad person for being thirsty. You're not a bad person for being thirsty. It is natural to thirst. And there's natural thirst and there are natural wells. Good wells that God has given to us to enjoy. But there's one supernatural well. (laughs) And there's a lot of natural wells. But there's only one supernatural well. Jesus is introducing her to a better well. And I love that he doesn't condemn Jacob's well. Like it's not that it's bad. Jesus is offering her something better. It's not that Jacob's well is evil. It's just not enough. (laughs) Jesus says, listen, you come here, you're going to be thirsty again. But what I'm offering you quenches your thirst for all eternity. T. Jake said the water in Jacob's well would pacify, but the water in Jesus would satisfy. The message, the heart of the motivation for worship is this. Only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human heart. Therefore, he is worthy to be praised. Only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human heart. Natural wells are built by natural people. So, of course, they can't satisfy our souls. Only the creator of our souls can satisfy our souls. The motivation in our worship is that we've tasted of something in the person of Jesus that satisfies us unlike anything else we've ever tasted of before. We have visited a lot of wells. But if you knew the one who is asking you for a drink, if you just knew him, he's better. He's better. Here's the thing. You can go buy a a printing press today and learn how to get really good at printing counterfeit money. You can print a pile of it. And you can probably go buy some stuff for a minute. But eventually somebody's going to figure out you're not spending the real thing. And Jesus is standing next to this great well and says, this is just a counterfeit for life. And we can spend this counterfeit water for a minute. We're just going to end up thirsty again. Jesus says, but I'm offering something different than you've experienced at any other well you've ever visited before. 
What does this have to do with worship? Here's what I believe it has to do with worship. The the whole ministry of Pastor John Piper summed up in this one sentence, his summary of Jonathan Edwards' teaching, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The reason we exist, the reason that puppy dogs are cute and flowers are pretty, the reason that breath makes us breathe is for the glory of God. And he finds the most glory, not when we miserably perform our religious duties, but when we find our satisfaction in his presence, in his person, and in himself. Jesus teaches her there's satisfaction found in me. Let's talk about worship. Worship is the overflow of satisfied hearts. True worship is the overflow of satisfied hearts. True worship comes from a satisfied soul. The problem is I think a lot of us have a broccoli theology towards worship. I know it's good for me, so I guess I'll go. I never forget... When Garrett was younger and we made him eat a certain vegetable. For the life of me, I don't remember what the vegetable was. And he's sitting there. And if those of you who know my wife well, she she um, struggles with those digestive issues. I'm not even going to say it because I have to go home with her today. Like she doesn't like that, right? And so... We're having this parental moment of you're eating your vegetables, you're gonna finish this. And he's like, and she's like, never mind, you're good, here's some chocolate. <laughs> it's like, shh, bail, mayday. <laughs> hear my heart on this, that this is not meant to be condemning or shaming, please hear me. If people who have no idea who he is watch our lives, Do they see a hold your nose and just get through it approach to worship as a way of life? The rest of life is pizza and chocolate. And then there's spiritual stuff. You just got to do it, man. Right? True worship is not hold your nose and grin and bear it. True worship is everything else is gluten free. (laughs) Then I'll preach. If you're gluten-free, I apologize. I'm not shaming your gross food. This, This is the idea that Jesus is better. He's better. We're not settling. Everything else is the lesser than. So let's be real for a minute. Can we stop? Acting like church people and be real for a second. How satisfied do you feel today? Man, I confess to you, there are so many areas of my life that I am discontent. There's so many areas of my life that I want more or better or different or whatever. I mean, it's like a daily battle. 
And so if, if God's most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him, I step back and look at my life and I go, man, I got a long way to go. It can be discouraging or it can be defeating to think, but I've tasted of the will. What's wrong with me? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't call himself a different well. Jesus didn't offer her a better well. Look at the end of verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring. Not a well. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's a big difference between a spring that wells and a well. A well is this thing that you got to dig and find, and yep, there's some water. The spring just keeps coming. <laughs> so I was in, I've shared this with y'all, I was in Steamboat Springs a couple of times in the last 30 days, um, prepping for a pastor's retreat and then leading a pastor's retreat. And I hadn't been in Steamboat Springs before. I didn't know anything about Steamboat Springs. And I'm like, why is it called Steamboat? We're in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. Doesn't make sense. Like this isn't a coastal town. And what's up with the springs? And come to find out there's these hot springs everywhere. I mean, literally like downtown right next to the main strip in town, there's this huge water park, like slides and stuff. And all of it's fed by the hot springs. And then on the other side of the road, you just go and it looks like it's just a little creek going by and it's a hot spring. And y'all know my Floridian blood doesn't tolerate the cold very well. We were out taking a walk and it was 50 degrees, which in my world is like wear a dead seal kind of weather. Okay. And there's kids swimming in the water. And I'm like, what kind of irresponsible parent? And I, I must have been like obvious or something because the little kid goes, it's so hot. He says this to me. Like he can read my mind going, you have a terrible mother. So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, it's so hot. And I'm like, what? He was right at one of the sources of a hot spring. And, and this idea is Jesus is not, he's not painting the picture. Please hear my heart on this. Of just a one-time experience with him and then you're good. But rather of the taste of Jesus secures our eternal life in a moment. And then continues to grow in us. And continues to redefine what satisfaction looks like. And continues to give a distaste in our taste buds towards the lesser wells that we visited before. It's this ongoing, growing, life-giving, transformational thing. And what we understand is transformed worship comes from transformed lives. Lives that, that continue to experience the life of Jesus and go, well, that was better than anything else I've ever experienced. How about you? That's worship. This ongoing growth, this ongoing development. The reason that little babies eat the gross-looking, terrible-smelling food out of the jars is because they don't know there's anything better. Try to feed your 18-year-old some crushed carrots. 
They'll be like, no, I've lived. (laughs) And before we meet Jesus, we just don't know any better. We just think the desires of the flesh are the best life has to offer. But as he continues to grow life in us in his mercy, reveal more of himself to us in his grace, we start going, whew, that's junk. No thanks. I want more of you, Jesus, and less of me. True worship, therefore, is not something we work up. It's something that works up in us. The job, the role, the mission of the people who stand up here with musical instruments or microphones is not to work you up to worship Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to do in his own people. Now, the best that these friends of ours can do is help us listen to that and, and, and orient towards that. But he's the one springing up life inside of us. He's the motivation. He satisfies us and then continues to whet our appetite for more of him. Her response to this idea, her response to this picture in verse 15, give me this water. Every time we approach the throne of grace, that's our heart. God, I'm thirsty. Because Jesus does say you'll never thirst again, but then he talks about a spring. Because the reality is when it comes to eternal life, we didn't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to keep it, and nobody can do anything to take it away. Let me say that again. When it comes to eternal life, we didn't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to keep it, and nobody can do anything to take it away. And that's really good news. And so it is a... We'll never be thirsty again for eternal life. But meanwhile, in this parched world, full of drought, we continue to grow in our thirst for more of him. We continue to experience him growing us to desire more. So if you ever been at a restaurant with somebody and they try something new and they go, oh, this is really good. You got to try this. And you're like, oh, that's way better than what I ordered. And you're like going back in for round two before you get stabbed, you know? You know, the greatest compliment that, that a server ever hears when they know it's somebody's first time at their restaurant is if at the end of the meal, the person says, hey, we'll be back. As as we are growing this transformation, as we are growing in Jesus, essentially what we're saying is, oh, this is where I need to come back more frequently. <laughs> like everywhere else I was going was lesser than, oh, this is five star and free. I'm going to keep coming back to this spring 
It's this weird picture of he's the God who satisfies and simultaneously leaves us thirsting for more of him. You hear that? Like that, that's what transformation in Jesus is like is we're satisfied in him and thirsty for more. It's the picture of the, the psalmist in Psalm 42 as the deer pants for the flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. And I believe the more we taste of him, the more we long for more of him. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then at the end of that psalm, the psalmist speaks to themselves, to their own souls and says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation, my God, what what worship is, is the heart that says, man, I'm thirsty for more. I've been satisfied in this presence. I've been satisfied in this grace. And I would love a second helping, please. <laughs> the God who satisfies us and leaves us thirsty for more. That's how this spring works. The motivation for worship is that we've tasted of the satisfaction of our souls. And it's continuing to develop in us. And it leaves us thirsty for more. So it's time to get real again. Can we be honest about the fact that life is just not that pretty? That we've all in this room tried to find satisfaction in lesser wells. Can we be real about that? Because being real about that is crucial. That's why Jesus' response to her, for her desire for this living water is, go call your husband and come here. Verse 16. And, and if you missed last week and you don't know this story, she goes, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, right, you've had five and you're now living with somebody who isn't your husband. Jesus is bringing the truth out into the open. He's exposing the fact that you keep running to relationships to satisfy the longings of your heart. And we're here to have a real conversation about a different source of life. And the same is necessary for us. True worship is true it's authentic. It is not perfect people playing perfect religious games. The fact that what we call worship in so many churches is this fake plastic pretend thing. That's not true worship. It might look good. It might even sound good. That's not worship. Worship is way more ugly and raw and real than all of that. True worshipers come before the presence of God and acknowledge that we're just broken people. We are broken people who've experienced in the person of Jesus something better than the counterfeit or the lesser than that we've tried to find satisfaction in and that we 
continue to feel the gravitational pull to try to find satisfaction. And maybe that this morning in this very moment we're battling to not try to find a cheap substitute satisfaction in. And that doesn't lead. It's the amazing thing. It does not lead to shame and condemnation to admit that we're struggling with lesser wills. It leads us to satisfaction because we admit that only Jesus can satisfy the longings of our heart. So a lot of you have asked why I'm wearing a shirt that says July 18th when it is not July 18th. And the answer is it has nothing to do with today being July 18th because I don't put the date on my clothing to know what to wear. And the fact that that's what you thought, it makes me a little insecure. Um, I, I've not worn this shirt in a long time. I think about nine years. I think I only ever wore this shirt one time, about nine years ago, in this room. I was speaking to our students at Temple Christian School during a service, chapel service, and I wore this shirt in order to talk about having a moment you can go back to to know that you have a relationship with God. Just like a birth date that we have a born again date. And my date is July 18th. The only reason I know that is because my mom wrote it on the calendar. Although this morning she's one of the people who asked me what the shirt stood for. Can we just celebrate that in the house of the Lord? Like was a part of leading me to Christ on July 18th and had no idea what the shirt stood for. Highlighted my day. So I'm sharing this story and I shared with them, I don't remember that day because I was pretty young, but I do remember sitting on a, a red bench underneath a palm tree in Keystone Heights, Florida as a freshman in college and really examining my relationship with God. And I landed on, I believe, July 18th is when I got things settled with God. And so I shared that story with our students and our students responded. We had several students in that service respond and counsel with an adult about knowing for sure that they have a relationship with God. It was great. Then we went to lunch afterwards. Neil, Josh Howard, Brian Powers, Bob might've gone with us too, I don't remember. Uh, We went to Subway to eat lunch. Now the thing about taking the guys to lunch is they expect me to pay and that's fine, so I'm last in line. They all went through and got their sandwiches, and it was my turn. And I ordered water to drink. And the guy behind the counter handed me a thimble. Not even a shot glass to get water. I just ordered a foot-long sub. Like, carbs for days. Itty bitty living space. And I said, I said, dude, hey, for real, can I have a larger cup? I promise I won't, I won't get soda. And he said, no. And I said, no, for real. Like, I, I, that's not enough for an adult to drink. Come on, man. Like, that's not even a sippy cup. Can I have, like, an adult cup? And he said, no, I'm not allowed to give you one. And I said, dude, seriously? Like, look at me. I'm, I'm trying to steal from you. Stick it to the system. Like, what? Come on, dude. 
I'm not going to drink your soda. Like, like he's like, well, I can sell you a larger cup for the cost of a soft drink. And I said, dude, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm buying all these sandwiches here. Like, that's a, that's a urine specimen sample cup. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't give you one. And I said, that's ridiculous. And I swiped my card. And he said, tell me about your shirt. I'm now smaller than the cup. I said, it's the day that I first enrolled at Pantigo Academy. I'm just kidding. Come on, that's funny. It's even red and black. Like, it works. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Um, I said it was just a significant day in my life. Nothing. Don't worry about it. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to mention Jesus to the guy because I was so rude to him. I had just called his offering of a cup, a urine specimen sample cup. I felt so bad, right? But the amazing thing is Jesus exposes this woman's secrets and her shame and her sin and she doesn't feel any condemnation she doesn't feel any shame as a matter of fact what we'll look at next week is she turns around and runs into the city and she's like come see a man who told me everything i ever did and they're like how is that a good thing we know you they ever thought about her message they're like uh Because when we experience our failures and the worst of ourselves and the moments we wish we could take back, it's normal for us to shame us. It's normal for us to condemn us and even sometimes one another. But in the person of Jesus, he invites us into this authenticity without any shame, without any condemnation, without any guilt. He invites us into his grace, into his mercy and says, listen, if you'll just get real with me, I can set you free from those lesser things that you've tried so hard to satisfy you. And I can finally give you myself. And so this, this idea of true worship is just a people who happen to show up in the same room once a week, who've experienced the daily reality that only Jesus can satisfy the longings of our hearts. And what we do when we come together is remind ourselves that those lesser wells aren't all bad, they're just less. Jesus is better. And we, we stir our hearts And we focus our minds because everything we've experienced in Jesus is beyond anything this world can offer. Do we agree with that this morning? I I believe that our worship in this place should look like we believe that the other six days of the week. But if all we're doing is chugging on the off-brand soda of the world all week long... And then we try to have an hour of Jesus in this room. It's going to look pretty empty. It's going to look kind of forced. It's going to look like broccoli worship. Without even the cheese on the broccoli. We need more cheeses. 
I'm more ashamed of that than the subway story. (laughs) Right there. I have another moment of shame and condemnation. (laughs) Yeah, that's cheesy. That was cheesy. That was a dad joke. I'll respond to a dad joke with a dad. Okay. um, May we be a people who've said, I've tried every well there is. And then Jesus found me. And I've experienced a spring of life in him that's unlike anything this world has to offer. I'm not settling for second best. I'm not living the less than life. I've traded in the less than life. Because true worship is the overflow of a satisfied soul.